My subject this morning is, where are you? Now, my question is not who you are, but where you are. Where you are in your Christian experience this morning. There are few Christians who really have fulfilled their purpose in life. We all want to. We all wish that we could. But many of us have not. Not many are really enjoying God. They seem to think that religion is good, is good and healthy, but they don't really seem to really enjoy God. And there's a key that we're going to find out this morning on how we come to the place where we really enjoy Him. And many are just not sure where they are this morning. And I believe that it's true whenever we exercise an independence from God, we become self-conscious of ourselves and of our circumstances, and therefore we find ourselves focusing more on our circumstances, our problems, our issues, than we do focusing on God. Uh, it seems like that many of us have come to the place in our lives, and I've been there several times. I don't know if you've ever been at a place where you felt like just, just hiding, just getting away from everything, and just, just go someplace and start all over in life. And I remember that the times that I have gone through that has been difficult times in my life. And I just wanted to simply get away from things and everything. Now, some of you are conscious of how well you are doing, and that's good. Some are conscious of how poorly you are doing. And you may feel a sense of shame because of the past. Um, you may have been a Christian all of your life, and you find yourself kind of weary, empty inside, and sometimes you feel all alone. You're tired of performing. You're tired of pretending uh, that, that really you're, some of us spent most of our life pretending that God is wonderful, God is good, and we really don't feel that way. Deep down inside, we still question the goodness of God. Now, God comes to us this morning, and he's asking us, where are you? Where really are you? And you remember when God asked this very question, it's found in the Bible in Genesis, in Genesis 3, verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You remember the story. They were told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They ate of it, and as soon as they, they did, they found out that they were naked. They didn't know it before. They found out that they were naked, and they went and they hid. They hid behind a bush. And, um, and here we have the story. The, we gives an account of it. And then in verse 9 it says, Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? 
It's almost like, well, God, didn't you know where they were? You know, why, why would you ask them, where are you? Well, God knew that the moment that he asked them that question, they would have to come out of their hiding, come out of the bush that they were hiding behind and reveal themselves. God is asking Adam and Eve, what is your problem? Where are you? Where are you? God's not asking them for a greater commitment. He's not asking them to, for a better performance. He's simply asking them, where are you? He's not asking them that it's time for you to rededicate your life. He's not asking them to do that. All God is asking them to do is to be honest. You know, we have a difficult time being honest. People say, how are you? They're all fine. <laughs> I, asked, I asked this lady this morning, how are you? She says, not good. <laughs> not good. And that honesty is very refreshing. Not good. And so God is asking us, where are you? In Genesis 3.10, the Bible says this, and he said, I heard the sound of you. This is Adam speaking. He says, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Now, here is the lie that Satan has so successively done. He says God, Satan says that God is somebody to be afraid of. And Adam says that I was afraid of you. I was afraid of you because I was naked. So I hid myself. Satan has successfully, very successfully, he has reached all the religions of the world to get men to try and to appease and please God. Because all mankind, it seems, is afraid of God. They are afraid of him. People in every culture and in every religion have learned to be afraid of God. I don't care if it's the Jewish faith or the Islam faith or Christianity. Did you know that most Christians are somewhat afraid of God? They're afraid of judgment. They're afraid of all sorts of things. But they're afraid of God. They somehow feel that if they're not doing their part, if they're not living the way they're supposed to be living, that God is going to curse them or cause them. And with bad circumstances, punishment. And so when we read the Old Testament, there's about 60 stories in the Old Testament that talk about God punishing people. And so we get the idea that we should be afraid of God. We should be afraid of him. If we're not doing, if we're not living right, if we're not doing everything that we're supposed to do, that we should be afraid of God. And every religion is the same. They all have a book. They ask you to read the book. We ask you to read the Bible. They all have a book. And they all have a, a system of performances to please God. And so in the Christian faith, it says, it's very typical, that 
you hear in the Christian church that you need to read your Bible every day, you need to pray every day, you need to have quiet time every time, and then if you do all those things, then you are pleasing to God. And the truth are, is that whether you do them or not, you are pleasing to God. Whether you do them or not, you are not pleasing God simply by being obedient to God. There's a lot of Christians that are obedient to God because they fear God. And that's not the way, that's not the reason to be obedient to God. So, how do we explain some of the things that we find in the Old Testament? In Hebrews 12, 5, the Bible says this. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. And then the Bible says, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And he scourges everyone or he chastises every son whom he receives. So here we have it. The Old Testament, because we have bought into a lie to interpret truth, the stories of divine punishment in the Bible, in the Old Testament, those 60 stories of divine punishment are simply stories of divine, divine love from God. You see, we don't get a chance to hear the whole story. That's the problem I see in the Old Testament. God does not explain why he does the things that he does. And that's why it gets to be a little confusing. It's sort of like a judge has an opportunity when he he sits in court. He listens to both sides. He looks at all the evidence, and then he makes his decision. And now, a lot of people, when he makes that decision, we disagree with him. We think, well, what does he know that we don't know? And that's the problem with the Old Testament. God does not explain himself throughout the Old Testament. I remember reading some of that, and I was thinking, well, this doesn't seem to be fair. I wish I knew the background, why God said this and why God did that, why he punished the people of Israel. I wish I knew the total background of it so I could see it through his eyes, but I don't know. And I don't know what it is. And so I have to accept by faith that God knows what he's doing. And that's sometimes hard. I remember when I was in the Marine Corps and I was not a Christian and I was in uh, Vietnam. And and I wondered, well, God doesn't care about these people here. Maybe he cares about the people in the United States, but he certainly doesn't care about the people here. It seemed like to me. But not being a Christian, I, I really didn't care, I guess. But I must have, because sometimes I would wonder about that. And I would wonder, is there really a God? If there was a real God, why isn't, doesn't he care what's going on here? And so it became confusing to me. And, and when I would read the Old Testament, some of the things that I would read, I would think, I don't understand this. I don't get this. It doesn't seem fair. Uh, And then I thought, well, maybe, perhaps, God will explain it later. 
And so I'd go through the Old Testament, and I'd come to the end, and still felt the same way. And then I realized that he did explain it. He explained it in the New Testament. It is an awesome truth that we should never, ever forget. You probably remember the story of the miracle of John the Baptist's birth. John the Baptist's father was a priest. And he was, uh, it was his turn at the temple for his duties, and he was there doing his duties when uh, an angel appeared before him and announced that he and his wife, Elizabeth, were going to have a baby boy. And Zechariah, the priest, his first thought was, are you kidding me? Do you know how old we are? This way he told the angel, do you know how old we are? In Luke, Luke 1.20, and it says, and behold, this is what the angel said to Zechariah. When he, when he heard that, what he said about him being too old. He says, and behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. So the angel of the Lord said, because of your unbelief, you're not going to be able to talk. And of course, his wife Elizabeth she enjoyed nine months of peace and quiet because he couldn't talk. Uh, in Luke 174, it says, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear. In the Old Testament, they served God because they were afraid of God. And now Zechariah says to us, that you don't, have to, you don't have to fear God anymore. And so in the Old Testament, they feared God. In the New Testament, we're told that we can serve him without fear. There it is. It's a glorious explanation that God promised through the ages that the Savior would come, and when he does, you will not have to fear God any longer. That is why Jesus kept on promising us, he told us over and over again, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him, and he has seen him. Do you know that in the early Christian church, there were believers, partially believers, they were called Gnostics, so they didn't really believe that some of the things that we believe today, but they were classified as Christians. Um, and they thought there was, that the God of the Old Testament was not the father of Jesus Christ. They thought that there was another, uh, another God, and that was the father of Jesus Christ. Because they saw a difference. But here you find that Jesus is saying, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. So in the New Testament, Jesus Christ is giving us a look at what the Father is like. We have this idea when we read the Old Testament that he's very stern, he's very, he's, he's very, um, he's vengeful, and he's full of wrath, he's angered, and this is not true. And so we have it in verse 9, 
It says this, Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you when you, excuse me, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus Christ was once again trying to identify who God the Father really is. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. All the things that I do, I do because the Father told me to do it. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. You see and witness the miracles that he was performing. But he says that he and the Father are one. And believe me, he says. And then the Bible says in John 6, 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Now notice here, all that the Father gives me. That's you, that's me. The Father has given Jesus Christ us. I mean, that is an awesome, awesome thought that God looked down on the face of this earth. He sent the Holy Spirit upon all flesh. He knocked on our door. We opened the door. And now he says, I will in no wise cast you out. I wish that the Christian church believed that. I wish they had the security to know that the moment they opened up that door and Jesus came in, he says, I will in no way, certainly not, cast you out. We are safe and secure in Christ. It's not our performance. It's none of that. It's because we opened the door and Christ came in and gave us a new heart. You know, most of us, we know the story of Judas when he betrayed our master. It was that night in the Garden of Gethsemane. He had made arrangements for, for the uh, Roman soldiers to arrest Jesus Christ. How will we know him? He says, well, it's the one that I will embrace and kiss on the cheek. That is the, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he, he came to him in the Garden of, the Garden of Gethsemane. And notice what he said here in Matthew 26, 50. And Jesus said to him, he said to Judas, the betrayer, he said to him, friend, he called him a friend, do what you have come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. He called Judas friend. The unfortunate thing, Judas had grown up believing the lie that the devil has successfully given to the whole religious world. He was afraid Judas was afraid of God. He believed the lie that, that we're supposed to be afraid of God. And because he was afraid of God, and because that the fear, the guilt, and everything else came over him, he found no hope, and he went out and he hung himself. Quite different from Peter. You see, that night, Peter heard him he heard Jesus call him friend. And as we know, that night, Peter also betrayed his master. But the thing with Peter is Peter did not, he did not believe that he had to be afraid of God. 
So he felt the guilt, he felt the shame, but he felt the forgiveness of God. And that makes the difference. That makes the difference with us. When we, when we feel guilt, when we feel shame, and, and, and naturally we do that when we make mistakes, God reassures us, reassures us that we live in a state of forgiveness. No matter how bad we are, no matter what we do, we are forgiven because we open the door and allow Jesus Christ to come in. We are safe and secure in Christ. The truth about God is that we do not have to be afraid of him. We just, we just need to be his friend. So we're either afraid or we're his friend. What are we? Some of you may have grown up uh, believing that you need to be afraid of God. I want you to notice this text in 1 John 4.18. The Bible says there is no fear in love. There's a song my wife used to sing, and it was, Do you love God? Do you really, really love God? There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. You know, some of us have a difficult time with love to understand what love is all about. I mean, I certainly had that problem and perhaps still do for in some degree. It's the way we were brought up. And some of us were brought up believing that we need to be afraid of God, that there's going to be some punishment because of what we've done, what we're doing, and we get all mixed up about God. Perfect love isn't somebody to be afraid of. Perfect love is somebody to be a friend. That's the truth of the gospel. When I, when I look at this book, and of course the New Testament is called the gospel, the gospel means good news. And to me, the good news of the gospel is that I don't have to be afraid of God. God loves me no matter what, no matter what the circumstances I'm going through, no, what the, no matter what the issues that I may be facing. And at times in my life, I've faced many different issues. But Satan has a plan for the Christian. He tries to undermine their identity in Christ. He's the accuser of the brethren, so he accuses us us of our inconsistencies so whenever we make a mistake and everything else like that he accuses us and you call yourself a Christian and you think that you're born again and I can't tell you through the years that thousands and thousands of people that have come to me and said to me pastor how do you know whether you're really born again and so obviously they're questioning whether they are am I really 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 born again so what is our view of God? What is our view of Satan? Satan does everything to try to get the Christian confused. Confused of who he is. Confused about his relationship with God. And 
he gets us to try to question God. Not only God's word, but his goodness too. I've had many people go, <coughs> come to me and say, and say uh, to me, especially in those early days up there in uh, Northern Virginia, when they would say, you make it too easy, you make it too simple. Is it really that way? And I would always say, yes, it is that way. It doesn't get any simpler. God knocks on the door, you open the door, he comes in, and you're rock solid with him. In no way will he cast you out. In no way. In no way. Well, some people say, well, then he won't cast us out, but we can walk out. No, you can't. When you're born again, you cannot get unreborn. It's impossible. There's no such thing. You cannot get unreborn. And so that's why the Bible says, with all the authority, I will no wise cast you out. The devil tries to make us feel like hiding from God. And so sometimes we live in a fearful relationship with God. Satan brings discouragement. He tries to discourage us. He tries to get us to look at our problems, look at our issues, and not focus on the goodness of God, but focus on yourself. And then whenever we get there, whenever we do that, we start kind of a slippery slope of questioning God. So, I, I, I guess what it is, is it, it's sort of like a, a tombstone in England reads. This woman died and her name was up there and, she said, and it said on the tombstone, she died for want of things. And when her husband passed away, he had on her on his marker next to hers, he died trying to give them to her. So it seems like we're never really content in life. We're always looking for something more. When Paul says in Philippians 4.11, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. So the question I ask you, where are you this morning? Are you content to be where you are? Are you simply content, even in the midst of your circumstances, even in the midst of your trials and tribulations and issues in life? Are you content to be where you are? Paul said, I have learned to be content. He wasn't always content, and neither have we always been content. We have to learn to be content. We learn to be content by trusting that God knows what he's doing. Trusting that we don't have the answers to all the issues of life. Trusting that God does have. And that God will reveal those answers to us. You know, it's interesting. When I correlate the Old Testament and I read all those 60 stories of God punishing and God doing this and God doing that, and I don't fully understand it, it's no different today. There are things that have taken place in my life that at the time I certainly didn't understand it. And I questioned God many, many times about it. And then I found as years passed, I would look back and I would say, oh, oh yeah, it did work out. My, that's great. It did work out. But at the time, I didn't see how it could. I, I had no idea that it could work out. 
But as time went by, I looked back, and I can see the hand of God. Adam and Eve, they hid behind a bush. They committed a sin. They felt guilty. They felt shame, and they hid behind a bush. All God was doing was asking them, where are you? Come out from under the bush. Come out. That's all he wanted. He just wants our honesty. He wants us to be truthful with him. If we doubt him, we can, it's okay to tell him that. If we doubt things about him and about the way he works, it's okay. It's okay. It's not a sin. It's okay. He just wants our honesty. He wants us to come out from behind the bush. Some of us are in the bush of blame. We blame others. And Adam and Eve, they were the experts. Adam, he blamed Eve. It's the woman that you gave me. That's the problem. Eve blamed the serpent. If it wasn't for the serpent, I would have been okay. It's the blame game. And the why and the reason the why is that we seem to, to do the blame game to get our focus off of ourselves. Uh, sometimes the blame game comes out in bitterness. Sometimes we're bitter and we don't even face the truth of being bitter. If somebody would ask us, are you bitter? We'd say, oh, no, no. But when you go back into your history, you may find that there is some bitterness there. And where there's bitterness, there's confusion. Where there's bitterness, we try to justify our bitterness and we, we get our focus on somebody else or some circumstances and we blame. I'll never forget the time that there was a, an individual who called me and he had been, been drinking and he was drunk. And he was one of my deacons in the church. And he called me and he wanted to talk to me. And I told him to come over to the house. And then I took my oldest son, I think he was about 10. I said, now I want you to see how your dad used to be. I said, so I want you to sit in with this counseling session I'm going to have with him. And so he did. And, and I don't think he'll ever forget that the rest of his life. But I told him, I said, that's the way I was. I said, and I said, sometimes circumstances in life drives us to a place that we don't want to be. It's really not us. We're safe and secure in Christ. But sometimes because of circumstances, because of issues, because of problems, we do something that's not really us. And that's why Paul said that when he has all this trouble, all these thought problems and issues. He says, I don't understand it. He says, but it's not me. It's not me. It's sin that dwells in me. And that's with us. And that's why the Bible says that he will not hold our sins against us. And maybe it could be that we are hiding behind the bush of success. I've had that experience when I was up in Northern Virginia. If we make enough money, we have enough things we are in our own business, uh, members of the country club, and we do, we do all these sorts of things, and, and then we think, well, maybe nobody will really notice if I, 
that I'm so successful in everything, maybe they won't see that I'm having all sorts of issues in my marriage, all sorts of difficulties with my children. Maybe they won't see that I, I, maybe I'm not the parent that they thought I was. And I don't want people to see that. And so they get behind that bush of success. Some are hiding behind the bush of religion. They have become sin experts. People who have made their life work, and I have run into a few, they've made it their life work to search out and point out sin in other people's lives. Never their own. Always other people. They want to help other people out. They want to show them how sinful that they are and that they're breaking the law, they're breaking God's commandments or whatever they may be doing. They never fully ever see their negative condemnation attitude. They never see that as the reason why so many people leave the church. So many people say, no, I've had enough. Every time I go there, I, I, I just hear what a bad person I am. I've had enough. And so they leave the church. The big question is, what are we hiding from? Every one of us have found, to some degree, a, a way, a mechanism that we use to cover our shame and our guilt. Why? Why do we do it? Sometimes we feel that the shame would be almost unbearable. And so we hide our temptations from others. We seem to want to cover our nakedness and not let anybody know what we're going through. You've heard me say when I've spoken on forgiveness and everything that a lot of people, they've come to the place where they just want to hide, not only hide from God, but hide from their friends. And so they sort of live in a vacuum that they can never really be themselves. And it's all God wants you to do is to be yourself. Some become preoccupied in isolation. They don't want to communicate to people. They are afraid, afraid that maybe they will be found out, afraid maybe they will never get better, or that someone will find out who they really are. And I found in the ministry, preaching about hell fire, it won't do it, doesn't do it. Telling people how wrong they are won't do it, doesn't. Tearing people down because they believe differently than we do won't do it. It won't do it. Well, what will? 1 John 4.18, I go back to it again. There is, there, there is no fear in love. There's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. 
Human beings will never come out being coerced. Only love will bring them out. God's love has no end. And it can't be earned by what you do, nor forfeited by what you don't do. God loves you just the way you are. He is so satisfied with you, it's unbelievable. He will in no wise cast you out. You can choose to receive it, or you can choose to ignore it. Yes, you can. But you chose to receive it. And he will in no wise cast you out. Despite of all God's love throughout the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. In fact, in Isaiah 45, 22, the Bible says, Turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Now that is in the Old Testament. Turn to me and be saved. And you know when Noah was building that ark for 120 years, God was appealing to people. His Holy Spirit was poured out upon the people, and he was pleading with them to come to safety. Over and over and over again in the Bible, and in the Old Testament as well, the invitation is to come home. Come and be saved. These are the words of compassionate God. But it's the same God. God the Father and Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's the same love. He says, if you know me, you'll know the Father. It's the same arms outstretched in love. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. In other words, they're the same. They're the same. That God of the Old Testament is Jesus Christ in the New Testament. They're the same. In John 5, 24, the Bible says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not, does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Could you imagine every individual who doubts whether they're secure whether they are saved, could you imagine if they embrace just that scripture itself? Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me, believes that the Father sent him, has eternal life and does not come into judgment. We have no fear of the judgment. We are sound. We are safe. And there's no way that God is going to cast us out. We have passed out of death into life. So, afraid or a friend? What's it going to be? A friend. A friend. We have nothing to be afraid of. God is not somebody that we are afraid of. He is someone who is a we are a friend of. Not afraid of. Your relationship to the Bible, to the law, is now all gone. Your relationship 
about your old self, the Bible says, is all gone. It's all gone. I used to love it when my boys were, were, were young and we'd be eating breakfast and I'd say, how are you guys doing? All gone, Dad. He said, all gone. It's all gone. And that's what we are. We're children and we come to the Lord and the Lord says to us, your old self, what is it? All gone. It's all gone, love God. Your sins, all gone. All, it's all gone. Because that's what the Bible tells us. Our sins are all gone. Gone forever. And he's already forgotten them. All obstacles preventing closeness to Christ is all gone. It's all gone. We have a new heart that God has given to us. A brand new heart. And at our core, the last thing we want to do is sin. The last thing. But there are difficulties in life. There are circumstances in life. And we listen to the flesh. And we do. And then we hear from heaven. It's okay. It's okay. We hear 2 Corinthians 5.19. It's okay. I will not hold your sins against you. It's all right. You're okay. You're exactly who I want you to be. I mean, praise God for such a wonderful God. So let us stand and let us close with our, our closing hymn.